Good morning, church family. I hope you guys are doing well, that you're staying safe and healthy. And again, we just want to welcome those of you that are at the church, for those of you guys that are online on Zoom or YouTube Live. And if in any of these places we have first-time visitors, whether you are at the church for the first time or maybe you're a guest of someone or if you are popping in online on YouTube Live, we want to welcome you. And it's so great that you guys can join us today. I want to start off today just by, you know, we are heading into the Thanksgiving season here. And, you know, as I was thinking about the sermon today, it just reminded me of how many incredible people we have serving at the church. There are so many things that are going on uh, that you guys see and things you don't see behind the scenes. And I just want to thank you all who are serving, um, especially, you know, now that we are you know, streaming online, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we don't see each and every week. So thank you guys so much for pouring out your hearts to God and just serving in incredible ways. And all that will make a little bit more sense here in a minute when we get into the sermon. But let me open us up in prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, we serve you. Lord, help us to be the kind of people you want us to be, Lord Jesus, who just desire and passionately seek you more and more each and every day. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide my thoughts, my words, my heart as we preach your word, as we share what you have for us today. I pray that you would speak to me and through me, Holy Spirit, as we continue to take a look at how we're doing as believers, how we're doing with our Christian faith. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Last week, we started a new series called How Are You Doing? And I explained that scripture tells us that from time to time, we need to evaluate or test our faith. And I know we don't like to really think of our Christianity in, in that way, that we don't want to think of testing ourselves, because I think often we're afraid that we're judging ourselves or that others might judge us. But scripture tells us that we need to examine and test our faith. There's three verses I mentioned last week, and I have them on the slide this week for you. The first one is 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So we are encouraged to test ourselves, to see where our faith is at, if we are truly believers. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 28 and 29. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And this is referring to communion, something that we will be sharing next week, that we should examine ourselves. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, are there any unrepentant sins that we have? And the final verse is Lamentations 3, verse 40. It says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. And what a wonderful reminder that one of the reasons that we examine or test or see how our faith is, are we maturing or are we dying in our faith, is that if we are backsliding a bit, we examine ourselves in order to allow us to return to the Lord, that God would be our focus. Last week, we also discussed how the gauge or barometer to examine or evaluate our faith or how we're doing as Christians is love. But it's not just any ordinary love. It is a sacrificial and sincere love. It's one that is not 
fake. It's one where our hearts truly desire to love others. And we learned about how that mindset or the heart condition that someone has when they are sincerely and sacrificially loving others, we see that they hate what God says is evil and they cling to what God says is good. They express care and concern the way a healthy family does with one another. We also learn that someone who is truly expressing sacrificial and sincere love, they honor someone else higher than they do themselves. And it's an incredible thing when two Christians are honoring one another. And all of this is based on Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Let me read that here for you. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will be you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not come overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we see that scripture is telling us that there are ways that we can examine our faith. And not only do we learn here that it is love that is the ultimate gauge, but what that looks like if we are truly loving sacrificially and sincerely. Paul gives us the way that that looks. And so I also explained that the first kind of half of what we're reading here in Romans, it's focused on Christians and how they treat other Christians. And then next week, we'll finish up with Christians and how we relate to the world. But this week, we're going to be talking about another way that we can measure or evaluate how our Christian love is or how we are doing with as Uh, how we are doing by loving one another as Christ is calling us to, or another way that love is expressed sincerely and sacrificially. And that is how we serve God and we serve others. But before we break down exactly what Paul is teaching us here in Romans 12, we have to understand a few Christian principles. And these are fundamental to our understanding of what Paul is trying to teach us here. And the first thing is that all Christians, I mean, ultimately all people belong to God. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price 
Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Our bodies do not belong to us. God is not only the creator of our bodies, he is the owner of our bodies. And here is why. God purchased us. And that purchase, it came through this price that Jesus ultimately paid through his death on the cross. Acts 20, verse 28, be on your guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. And here's the point of focus here, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus died for us. That was the price. That was the cost for us. So we belong to God. And because of this, we are called to serve him. Months ago, I preached a sermon on the difference between serving and volunteering. And I'll talk a little bit more about that today. And so I really want you to get into that mindset about being servants of God, not volunteers, because volunteers, they do things voluntarily. You know, they don't see that there's an obligation. They don't realize that we are obligated because of the price that was paid because there's someone who owns us. Now with that, we are reminded of a few things. And one of them is that it makes a huge difference how you serve. And the first thing that we hear here or that we see that we learn from Paul is that we should never lack zeal. When you're serving, never lack zeal. And you might be saying, I kind of have an idea of what zeal means, but I want you guys to think about, you know, whenever we talk about scripture, it is important to understand the context and the original languages. Of course, we want to understand how we apply it. But often when we look at the terminology that's used, there is a slight difference. And in some cases, huge differences on what words mean, what they meant when the Bible is written, as opposed to what they mean now. Zeal, it means earnest commitment in discharge of an obligation or experience of a relationship, eagerness, earnestness, diligence, and willingness. And I love that word there, and it's obligation. So it's kind of like you are obligated to do something, and it's this diligence, this willingness to do that. And so we see that serving, again, we are obligated to serve the one who died for us who paid the price for us. And so we should serve diligently, earnestly. We should have an eagerness in the way that we serve. In other words, never serve half-heartedly. If you're serving God in his kingdom, make sure your heart condition is right. And if you're serving and your heart condition isn't right. If you're not serving with zeal, if you're not passionate about serving God, if you don't realize that it is an obligation and we should have a willingness to serve God, ask yourself why. Because there's probably a reason why you're not serving with zeal. Paul also teaches us to keep our spiritual fervor. Here's another word that we may have some idea of what it means, but I don't know how often we use the word fervor. 
It means to be stirred up emotion, emotionally. It's like passion. It's desire. It's being enthusiastic, excited, on fire. I love that that is part of the, the Greek definition, on fire. Sometimes you probably heard people say, I am on fire for Christ. They have fervor. So we have to keep that spiritual fervor. And Paul gives this reminder to his listeners and ultimately to us as well, because serving can be challenging and people can get fatigued. If you have served at the church, if you have served for years, you know, it's not always easy. We can get fatigued. We can get tired. So we need to fight against discouragement, depression, and negativity in how we serve. So that's why we need to keep our spiritual fervor high. And this word spiritual, it's so important. Paul could have just said, hey, you know, keep your fervor high. But he didn't say that. He said, keep your spiritual fervor high. And again, going back to the context in the original Koine Greek in Romans 12, we see that Paul is making reference to the emotions, the enthusiasm, and the excitement. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can provide. That's why it's so important that he said, keep your spiritual fervor. And this is a great reminder because the Holy Spirit, he is the one, as we have learned previously, that he is the one that empowers us for ministry. And we can only experience the fruit of the Spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is why it's important is because when our fervor comes from the flesh, when our fervor comes from our desires, we get burnt out. We get frustrated when we don't get recognition. We get discouraged when things don't go our way. We think our ideas and our desires, they're the most important. We have the wrong motives when we serve. We lose sight of who we are truly serving and why we are serving him. And often when we are serving and our fervor, our fervor is from the flesh, we often quit. But when our fervor, when our passion, when our desires, when that fire, when it comes from the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to endure and persevere. We're able to go through things that are not easy. We are not so easily discouraged. God's will takes priority over our will. And serving, it becomes about God. Not because of, uh, because it becomes, it becomes because of God, not because of ourselves. Serving is not about things that we want to do to make us happy. They're things that we do because of the obligation that we have to God. And through that, ultimately, God gets the glory. The power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit that we experience because of him help us, helps us to keep 
our fervor in serving God, which impacts our desire, our passion, and our commitment. The power of the Holy Spirit also helps us with our attitude in serving when persecution and suffering of all kinds come up. And this is something that scripture tells us about, that as we grow closer to Christ, we will experience more persecution. And as I mentioned, when we talked about suffering, that persecution, it's not the same for everyone. And oftentimes the persecution that we go through, unfortunately, it's from other Christians. And sometimes the biggest persecution, the biggest challenges that we have, they're internal. That's a hard thing to understand, but it's a reality. Second Timothy 3, verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's another aspect to serving which is important if we are truly expressing sacrificial and sincere love. I mentioned a little while ago, it's our attitude. How are we serving? Because attitude is everything. And in Romans 12, Paul mentions three specific attitudes which are expressed or experienced by those who are truly serving in a way that is sacrificial and sincere. When people are truly expressing love in that way, they serve with certain attitudes. And these are the individuals that are empowered and they are relying on the Holy Spirit to help them with their fervor in serving God. So the first attitude is being joyful in hope. And joy, it's, it's a state of happiness and well-being. And hope, it is looking forward to something with some reason for confidence. So it means you are happy. You have this good feeling inside of you because you are looking forward ultimately to the promises of God. That's how we have to serve, that when challenges come up, that we still have this sense of well-being because we know who we're serving and we know what he can do. So being joyful in hope, that is the first attitude that we need to have or that we express when we are sincerely and sacrificially loving and that's how we serve. The second attitude is being patient in affliction. I think with all the things going on in the world, this one should resonate with many of you, being patient in affliction. And the way this, the, the, the Greek word for patient, it means remaining under a load, like having this heavy weight that's crushing you and enduring it. And affliction, it's trouble, trouble that inflicts distress, affliction, oppression, tribulation. So it's going through some very hard times that you feel are overwhelming, that you feel are crushing you. Can you be patient? Can you endure those challenges? That is the second attitude we have to have is we need to endure even when those challenges come. And here's the thing, when you're going through tough times, 
God never told us and God never promised us exactly how long any of the suffering that we're going through, you know, how long it's going to last. I mentioned in the series about suffering that for some individuals, that relief or God coming in and, and helping us, sometimes that happens in our lifetime like it did for Job, but other times it's going to come in eternity. It's going to be after we have died and we've gone to heaven. So we need to develop a patience in affliction. And the third attitude is being faithful in prayer. And I love this one. Prayer is so important. Prayer is what motivates God. Prayer it's what helps us to communicate with God. It's how we let God know that we need help through the Holy Spirit to be joyful in hope. It's how we know that we need the Holy Spirit to help us to be more patient when we are going through afflictions of all kinds. And faithfulness, it is to persist in something. It's to busy oneself, being busily engaged in or devoted. That's what it means to be faithful. It means you are wrapped up in something. It is one of your only focuses. In prayer, we know that it is communicating with God. So having an attitude that is faithful in prayer, it means you are making prayer the priority in your life. You are making communicating with God. You are making your relationship with him everything. You are devoted to it. You are busily engaged in it. Those are the three attitudes that we have need to have in our serving if we are doing it sacrificially and sincerely. And the final area regarding serving that Paul discusses in this section of Romans 12 is that Christians are called to care for one another. As Christians, we are called to care for one another. One author said this. They said, for believers, the challenges of the Christian life are constantly shifting between what we experience personally and what we experience because we are part of the body of Christ. So think about that. As a Christian, we often think about how we are living as individuals. But then sometimes we balance that with how are we living as the Christian community. He goes on and says, gifts, love, hope, patience, and prayer are valuable but they do not take precedence over other believers' needs. So it's a balance between praying for people, but also making sure that we're taking care of their physical needs as well. We see this concept of Christian caring at the start of the New Testament church. Acts 4 verses 32 through 35. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. 
for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would distribute to each as any had made. What an incredible community. Imagine if the world was like that. Imagine if everything that we had, we, we just felt that it was kind of a community, community property, community things. Imagine if someone sold their house just to meet the needs of others. That might be really hard to believe or really hard to understand, but that's what God is calling us to. It's to make sure that we are caring for the needs of others. And as I mentioned in this context, the focus is other believers. Not that we neglect non-Christians, but the focus here is other believers. And in Romans 12, 13, Paul gives us two very tangible ways that Christians can care for one another and express that sacrificial and sincere love. The first one is sharing with Christians in need. At the time of the early church, poverty was extremely high. But this is still something that we see today that can take place. And, and poverty might not be, you know, third world country poverty. It could be a family where, you know, either mom or dad, they have lost their job. And so the family is really struggling. Or maybe someone's been out of work for a while. There are all different degrees of poverty, but this is still an issue that can take place today. So Christians have to help other Christians when there is a need. And as I mentioned earlier, Paul isn't saying that we neglect or that we don't care for non-Christians, but the church and its members, as a Christian community, we should take comfort that other believers will help us in our times of need. And that's just not emotional needs. We're here in the context, we're talking about material needs, financial needs, challenges people are going through. You know, as Christians, we should feel that the church, that other believers are there to help us or that they will help us when we have certain needs. And this isn't just a blessing to the Christian community. It is a powerful testimony to non-Christians that we practice what we preach. And that's so huge as believers that we claim certain things, we believe certain things, we share the gospel message to others. But how often do we shoot our testimony in the foot because we do not practice what we preach? Church. We don't want to be like that. We want to live the way God calls us to live. And one of those ways is caring for the needs of other believers. How would it look, for example, to a non-Christian if we are so willing to support people in third world countries or those homeless in our own streets, but we ignore the needs of people that sit next to us in church. Or, and this is one I was talking to someone about the other day, 
that when we give assistance to people in the church, it comes with a greater level of scrutiny than people we have never met. Why is it that when we do support people in the church, we start thinking like, well, what kind of car do they drive? Or, wow, why don't they sell their house? Or, oh, wow, why don't they do all this and that? Why are we worried about that? God's just calling us to help our brothers and sisters in need. And specifically in this case, he's telling us to help other Christians. He's not saying to scrutinize them more because they are Christians. That's not what God is saying. So let's practice what we preach. Now, the second way that Paul tells us that we can care for others and show that sacrificial and sincere love, it's showing hospitality. And I love this because, you know, in, in preparing for this, I learned so much more about hospitality that I didn't even understand before. You see, during the time of the early church, it wasn't just poverty that was rampant. Inns, basically the old school hotels and motels, they were very scarce and sketchy. This is one of the reasons Jesus was in the manger, why he was in the barn, because there wasn't a whole lot of places to begin with that people, that visitors and travelers could stay at. So this was the situation at time in the early church. So it was imperative for Christians to show other believers and non-believers hospitality, to, uh, to provide them places to stay, to give them shelter, to provide them with food. One, comments, uh, one commentary said this about hospitality, and I, this just, just spoke volumes to me. It said, hospitality, it means being friendly to strangers, not just having friends over. Christian hospitality differs from social entertaining. Entertaining focuses on the host, the home. Uh, the, for example, the home must be spotless. The food must be well-prepared and abundant. The host must appear relaxed and good-natured. Hospitality, in contrast, focuses on the guests, their needs. Whether for a place to stay, nourishing food, a listening ear, or acceptance are the primary concerns. Hospitality can happen in a messy home. It can happen around a dinner table where the main dish is canned soup. It can even happen while the host and the guests are doing chores together. Believers should not hesitate to offer hospitality just because they are too tired, too busy, or not wealthy enough to entertain. The word practice is instructive or reminds us that hospitality improves with practice. So, Romans 12, we're told to practice hospitality. So it means that we just have to provide for others a place to say, a listening ear, maybe it's food to eat. And I love what we learn in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, he talks about hospitality. And he says that we could unknowingly be entertaining angels. Let me read this to you. It's Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So he kicks it off an incredible place, right? We're talking about loving, and that's where the author of Hebrews starts. Keep, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, 
some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Wow, that, that is convicting. I know it is for myself because there's probably been a lot of opportunities that I have had throughout my life where I could show hospitality. And maybe because of busyness, tiredness, or maybe just not wanting to, I did it. And I have to think, you know, was there opportunities or did I miss chances to serve angels? Did I miss this incredible opportunity to do that? And so that's a great reminder that it's not just that we are called to serve and part of our serving God because of the price that Jesus paid is showing hospitality or practicing hospitality to others. But in that, there could be some really special people that we could be serving and we don't even realize it. As I did last week, you know, I could give you this list of, you know, start working on these things and, and, and this and that, and that's how we could end. But I want to end with more of a, a challenge and a prayer. I want you to think about today or this week, are you serving in a manner that reflects that one, God owns you, that God purchased you with a price? So that's the first thing is ask yourself, are you serving in a manner that reflects that you are not your own, that God owns you? And second, are you serving in a way that reflects the price that was paid for you? And that price was Jesus's blood. It was Jesus's death on the cross. So this week, ask yourself, when I, when I serve at church, if I'm serving, that would probably be the first question, am I serving? But when I'm leading this ministry, when I'm interacting with others, when I'm doing this or that in the church, do, do I mope? Do I complain? Do I get discouraged and angry when these things don't go my way? Or is my heart all about serving, knowing that I am not my own, that Jesus, he paid for me with his life. And if you serve in a way that doesn't reflect those things, I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, pray, communicate with God, ask the Holy Spirit to start to change your hearts and minds. Because what we're seeing here of the last two weeks, and we'll finish up next week, is that there are uh, parameters, there are measuring tools, or there's a gauge ultimately, which is Christian love that is sincere and sacrificial. That's how we measure our faith, to know if we're doing well. And based on today's sermon, if we aren't serving in a way that reflects the sacrifice, the cost, and who we belong to, then we're lacking. We aren't doing as well as we should be with our faith. So let me close and pray about that. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would help each of us, Lord, to understand what your word is teaching us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that if we are not serving in a way that reflects the sacrifice, the cost, the price that Jesus paid for us, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict our hearts 
that you would burden our hearts for change. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us. God, we know that you are the only one that can change a heart. You can turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, as your word says. Transform our minds and our hearts to be focused on you. Help us to see others the way you would have us see them. Help us to treat others, Lord, the way we would treat ourselves. Lord, I pray that as we examine ourselves, Lord, that we wouldn't beat ourselves up, but that we would feel a conviction, a conviction to change. That we would be moving to that place where we are becoming the people that you want us to be, that we are becoming the church that you want us to be that can truly say that we are growing in our faith, that we are maturing, and that we know that by the way that we are loving, that we are truly loving sincerely and sacrificially. And Lord, if there is anyone listening in person, online, Lord Jesus, that doesn't know you, or Lord, maybe they've just taken... uh, the first little step, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them through the power of the Holy Spirit to be all in, to make that commitment to you, to live a life that is transformed. Lord, we love you. We serve you. We desire to serve you better, Lord Jesus, with all of our hearts and all of our minds. We pray this in your name. Amen.